covered bound Bible. That is uh, for you uh, to use. If you do not have a Bible of your own, please feel free to take that Bible and take it with you. And that is our gift to you. But Colossians is in the New Testament. Uh, It's one of the letters uh, written by Paul to the church at Colossae. And so um, we are in the middle of a gospel series. Usually what we will do is we will take a book of the Bible and we will preach through uh, that book. We're in the middle right now of the book of Acts and we stopped preaching through the book of Acts uh, right before Thanksgiving. And um, and now we're preaching through a uh, gospel series uh, that leads all the way until uh, next Sunday. Next Sunday. So uh, right now we're, we're, we talked about a couple of weeks ago, we talked about uh, just kind of the gospel as it is in creation where God in the beginning God, we looked at Genesis 1 in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and uh, He created everything created order out of chaos and put everything in its place, in its rightful place and it was good and then created man in his own image and it was very good and so we saw that in uh, Genesis 1 and 2 and then Brian O'Day last week preached for us Uh, a fall from grace where man is disobedient to God, sins against God, is persuaded by uh, Satan himself uh, to, to think that he was... Uh, could see things that God could see and believe and and do things that God could do and uh, therefore uh, sinned against God. God cast him out of the garden and we have been subject to the fall through sin for our uh, through for our duration we are born into iniquity the Bible says so we saw the perf- perfection in creation and then we saw man dis- uh, disobey God and uh, pursue their own selfish desires and cause sin to enter the world and today we are going to be looking at the idea of reconciliation where God is reconciling all things to himself he is trying to redeem those lost things uh, because of sin and this chasm that exists between God and man. And then next Sunday, uh, we will see where uh, uh, in the final days will be uh, consummation where God is renewing and bringing about all things. So Colossians 1, we're going to be reading 13 through 23, and this this text is rich. I could read it, uh, we could discuss it and talk about it, and I wouldn't even have to preach it. It speaks for itself, but we'll read it and I'll preach it anyway. So Colossians 1, 13 through 23. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. He is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. 
And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, He has now reconciled in His body of flesh by His death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before Him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Uh, The main idea of the message this morning, the main premise this morning is this. Christ is supreme over all things. Christ is supreme over all things, yet chose to become like us to reconcile fallen man to himself. Christ is supreme over all things, yet chose to become like us to reconcile fallen man to himself. So I don't know about you guys, but I am easily distracted. I I just am. I am so easily distracted. Like even as I preach, I'm not usually distracted by anything that happens out here unless my wife is getting on my kids. Like that distracts me. You know what I mean? Like one of my kids is acting up. Like I get distracted when she's over there. Like, you know, anybody else is doing it. It doesn't distract me at all. Kids crying, any of that stuff. That doesn't distract me. But my own family... I get easily distracted sometimes. And so usually for this, for my wife and I, one of the things that we do, we put our kids to bed probably around 8, 8.30 uh, as they get ready for school the next day. And so usually what we'll do is we'll come down and that's kind of our time to like spend time together, kind of hang out, talk about our week, talk about our day, how our day went, some of those things. So sometimes we'll have the TV on. It's usually muted, um, and so we'll have the TV on. And usually we'll have our phone sometimes with calendaring and, and trying, to, and trying to, to decide what it is that we're doing tomorrow or the next day or even, even this weekend, what's, what's coming up, because we both have really busy schedules, and we're just trying to, to, to figure out. You know, we've got five kids, so we're trying to figure out who's where and who's doing what and who has what event. And so I'll be sitting there on my phone or, or looking at the TV and my wife will be talking and after, I'll notice after a certain amount of time there's quiet, there's silence. And, uh, and I'll look up from either my phone or from the TV and I'll look over and she's just staring at me. You know, and she's like, I haven't said anything for like two minutes and you haven't noticed. And I'm like, oh, sorry, I'm paying attention. So I have to, I'm easily distracted. Things will, get, things will just get in my way and I'll just become easily distracted. And so she reminds me that, hey, you, you um, she's basically saying, am I worth listening to? Like, am I, am I worth listening to? And she is, she is. I just, get, I just get easily distracted. So usually I have to cut off the TV, take my phone, put it over here. I'll put something on the calendar a little later. So uh, just for us, that works for me. But uh, for the church in Colossae, um, they were distracted. They were distracted by things of the world. And so that's what Paul is writing this letter to his church in Colossae. And, and basically his premise is, is Christ enough? Is Christ enough for you? Is Christ, is Christ enough or do, you want, or do you want something else? Is there more that you're trying to do in order to, to build up this gospel that you've made for yourselves? Or is Christ enough, the gospel of Christ Jesus, enough for you, is what he is saying. So Paul was trying to ask this question, he's trying to answer for the church in Colossae. So you don't have to turn there, but in Colossae 2.8, here's what he says to uh, this church in Colossians. He says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy, empty deceit, according to human tradition.'" 
according to elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. So there were things that were coming and getting in the way of their focus of their desire being on Christ alone. Is, is Christ sufficient for you is what he's saying. Or are you going to be held captive by philosophy which is you know, for, for, for Greeks and the Gnostics like philosophy was a, was a big thing. It was something they spent a lot of time thinking about of how smart I can be. Or even he says empty, empty deceit. Are you being deceived by things that bring you nothing? And so the question for us is, is Christ enough? Is He sufficient for all areas of our lives? Or are we trying to put things in there in the Gospel that creates more? Are we trying to attain something that's not there, that is given freely by Christ Jesus Himself? So the question here is, what does Christ say? What does His Word say? Are we reading and listening to His Word and not the world? And that's what Paul is trying to, he's trying to bring back their focus and saying, hey, focus on Christ. We find out more from Colossians 2 and 16 through 18. He says this, he says, Therefore let no one pass judgment on you in question of food and drink or regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath you see, these are but a shadow of the things to come. But the substance belongs to Christ. He says, Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. So obviously they were, they were following and they were worshiping angels they were taking away all the, the good things and pleasures of the world in order that they would that they would that's what asceticism is, that they would they would go and they would remove everything and they would only focus on this one thing, but yet and and, and kind of abstain their bodies from from the good things that God has given or what you call common grace. Obviously food and drink was a hindrance to them. They were they were putting things in the place of what Christ was or Christ should be. They were regarding festivals and new moons and uh, things of the Sabbath as things that they should be worshiping instead of things that God had created for the good of His people. And so the question is, are we distracted by these things? Are we distracted by what Paul, what Paul is saying? Do we, do we get distracted by these things that Paul is, is, is accusing the church in Colossae that they are being distracted by? Because my charge to you is this, is that all you need is Christ. If He is truly supreme above all things, if He is truly supreme in your life, then you need nothing else for worship. And so Jesus should be the focus of our attention. He should be the focus of our study of God Himself. Christ is enough. The Gospel is enough. But yet, we, we put so many things in its place. We substitute the goodness of the Gospel with all sorts of worldly things. We are idolaters at heart. But Christ, is what Paul is saying, is enough. Stop being deceived by worldly things and focus your heart's uh, affection, your mind's attention on the things of God. 
specifically on the things of Christ Jesus. So just as a premise this morning, Christ is supreme over all things. Is He enough? Is, or is He all sufficient for our lives? That's the question we must face this morning. So I have five points for us this morning. Just from the text, we'll try to, try to move fairly quickly here. Point number one is this, Jesus is the Savior. Jesus is the Savior. I must start in 21 because it kind of is the linchpin for everything else that happens in the book of Colossians. It says this very simply, you, you who were once alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds, this is all of us. We are born into iniquity. It means we are born into sin. We are sinful human beings. We are uh, alienated from God. We are separated from Him is what that means. We are hostile in our minds towards God and yet. Verse 13. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness. He has transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. He has provided for us, in Jesus Christ, redemption. And number 13, in verse 14, He has forgiven us of our sins. Four measures of salvation there. He has delivered us. This means He has rescued us from the domain of darkness. He has rescued us from the authority of Satan. That's what that means. He is, when He has um, delivered us from the domain of darkness. Who is the domain of darkness? That is Satan. That is the prince of peace in this world or the prince of darkness in this world. That is Satan. He is the ruler of this present world and yet God and through Christ Jesus has delivered. If, you're in, if you are a, a Christian, you are in Christ. He has delivered you from that domain. Not only has He delivered you, He has transferred you. He has moved us out of one kingdom into the next. And I want to tell you why this resonated, would have resonated so much with the, the, the people of Colossae because history records that Antiochus the, the Great, he transported some 2,000 Jews out of Babylonian captivity into the city of Colossae. So he transferred them out of Babylonian captivity. They were, they were captive. They were enslaved. And then Antiochus came and he moved over 2,000 people, at least 2,000 people, from Babylonian captivity to live in Colossae. They knew what it meant to be transferred from darkness into light. They would have understood. This would have resonated that Jesus has done this for him. And if you're a Christian here, you have been transferred. This, this transferal has happened because of what Jesus Christ has done for you, that you are held captive, enslaved by darkness, and yet God has transferred you into the kingdom of light. That is good news. That's the gospel. This is good news to us. The third thing we see here is that Christ has redeemed a lost people in whom we have redemption. Verse, four, uh, verse 14. 
through Christ. He has delivered us out of darkness into light. He has transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption. We have been redeemed. Christians have been set free from the penalty and weight of our sin. Jesus met the demands of God's law in a way that we never could. He paid a ransom that we could never pay. He suffered a death that we could never... Uh, died a way that we would, would never be able to die. It is through Christ and His... His work, His coming and dying for us that redeemed a lost people. And then through His redemption, we have the forgiveness of sins. As you know, forgiveness is an act of grace. It's an act of grace to forgive someone. It doesn't always come easily, but yet it supposed to come to us all, especially if we are in Christ. And this forgiveness of sins was God's free and gracious gift to us. It was unmerited. It wasn't because of us or anything that we deserved. We don't deserve Christ or God's forgiveness. Yet God is gracious. He is merciful. He is just in forgiving our sins. If we confess our sins, then if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, and we repent of our sins, and we believe by faith in Jesus Christ, He is sure to save. So Jesus is the Savior. He has delivered us. He has transferred us. He has redeemed us and forgiven our sins. That is good news. That is good news to us. That is the point of Christmas. It is the point of Easter is that Jesus forgives us or those who put their faith and trust in Him. So Jesus is the Savior. Second point is this. Jesus is God made visible. God made visible. Verse 15. He is the, he is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things are, uh, were created in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him, and but He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. This is the beauty of the incarnation of Christ, that Christ would leave His throne in heaven, and that He would come down to sinful man. Like many religions cannot get over the fact that, that the Christian God would come down to earth and live amongst a sinful man. Yet God, in His grace and mercy, sends His Son in the incarnation to become fully God and fully man here on earth. To be born in a manger, to be born very humbly, in a stable and yet He would be called Emmanuel. He would be called God with us. That He would live with us and live as we have lived. To be tempted in every way as we have been tempted. And to be made God made visible. John 1.18 says this, 
No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. That is Jesus. He has made Him known through the incarnation, through God with us, through Him made visible here on earth during that time to be recorded here in the New Testament for all of history. But yet, we know that God was there in creation. Because He's the image of the invisible God, right? That He is, by all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones and all uh, dominions, rulers, authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. It is Jesus' dominion. He is the creator of the universe. We, we talked about this when we talked about creation, that it is God, the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit were ever present in the creation of all things. And through Christ Jesus was everything made. And it was very good. Even in the image of man, we see the image of man created. Jesus is God made visible. Hebrews 1.3 says this, that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of His nature. So if we want to know God, if we want to know who God is, what He's about, what should we do? What should we do? We read His Word. If you want to know who God is, read His Word. If you want to know who Jesus is, read His Word. It's been given to us who God is, the exact imprint of His nature, the radiance of His glory of God has been given to us through His Word. If you want to know the character of God, you study His Word. He is God made visible. He is God made visible. So the first point, Jesus is the Savior. Jesus is God made visible. Why we celebrate this beautiful season of Christmas is that Jesus would come into this world in a, in a, in a humble manner to be born in a stable and to live a life that we could never, look, never live. It's a beautiful season that we celebrate the Emmanuel, God with us, that He would come to save us from our sins and to offer forgiveness, redemption, transference, and redeem us. It's a beautiful picture. It's a beautiful picture. My third point is this. Jesus is the head of the church. Why do I say that? Because the Bible says it. Verse 18. And He, this is Jesus, is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. That is supreme, all-powerful. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. So both Colossians and Ephesians emphasize the, the leadership of Christ in the church and His power over it. Christ is head because He holds all things together, it says in the verse prior. That in Him, in him all things are held together. He is the head of the body, the church. In Ephesians, Christ is the head because He is Savior. The implications of this are profound. See, we as church leaders, we surrender ultimate leadership to the Lord Jesus Christ. 
He is the one who leads. He is the one who determines what we teach and what the practices that we, uh, that we practice in our local churches or should practice in our local churches are prescribed or are given by Scripture. As church members, you are called to follow Christ. And you are called to follow your earthly leaders after Christ. As Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. Pastors here, leaders here in this church are under shepherds. We are under shepherds to the chief shepherd who is Jesus Christ. He is the head of the body. He holds all things together in our service, in our church. We see the love that Jesus has for the church is expressed in His desire. Though he also loved the church. You see, the church is not a building. So we've talked about this before, but as we say, hey, you should, you should, you should go and visit, or you should go and, hey, you should come to my church, right? We've said that the church is not the building. The church is the people who... who, who may, the people are the church, our church is made up of people, not, not a building, not any one place. So when we talk about Pillar Church, we talk about Pillar Church scattered all throughout Onslow County in Jacksonville. Right? All, through, all over Camp Lejeune, and as, as we have uh, uh, men and women who are deployed, like they're scattered everywhere. That is, that is Pillar Church. It is the members, it is the people who know and love and worship Jesus. And Christ is the head. And we are taught to, to, to let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Not that we give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And, and all the more as you see the day, day approaching. And so as a church, we want to regularly connect with other believers who honor the Lord as we seek to do, who encourage us personally as believers and allow us to encourage and serve others. That is Christ being the head of the church and we being the church who, who submits to His authority and, and connect with one another and honor the Lord Jesus together and, and remind each other of the gospel. Like one of the big important ideas of the church and the important things that we are taught in Scripture is that we would remind ourselves, we would be constantly we'd be reminding one another of the Gospel. This idea of redemption, this idea of transference, this idea of God, uh, um, God reconciling us to Himself. Is what we have to continually forgiveness, right? We're constantly reminding each other of the gospel. We think about Jesus in relation to this. Look at the example of Jesus, who in Philippians two, as he says, humbled himself, took on the sins of the world, and went to a cross that he didn't deserve to bear. Why? For you and me, for those that would believe and put their faith and trust in him. How can we not be like him? So Christ's example as head of the church is authority, but it's also grace and mercy and forgiveness and love and compassion. All these attributes that we see in God are given to us in, in Jesus that God made visible in Jesus Christ, in His Word. So the ultimate leader of any church is the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And he says in Matthew 6, I will build my church. I will build my church. It belongs to him. JD doesn't build this church. Brian O'Day doesn't build this church. Stephen Whitfield doesn't build this church. Anybody that you've seen up here this morning or will see, or any of the members that you think are as prideful as we are, we don't build this church. You may bring, you may invite and bring more people than anybody else in this church, but you don't build this church. Christ builds His church. And nothing will prevail against it. No other power will prevail against His church. But it doesn't remove the fact that that we are called to holiness, as we'll see here in a minute, and blamelessness, and that, that God provides that for us. That we seek after unity, that we love one another well, that we worship together and exalt Christ Jesus together. That is what He is proclaiming, is what He's given to His church, is that we would glorify Jesus Christ in His coming, in His living, in His dying, and in His resurrection. Man, what a beautiful picture of the Gospel. So my fourth point is this. Jesus is our reconciler to God. Jesus is our reconciler to God. Look at verse 20. And through Him, this is Jesus, to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross, And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, remember this is all of us before Christ, doing evil deeds, He, Jesus, has now reconciled in His body of flesh by His death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before Him. This is the gospel of first importance that that Paul talks about. That God has reconciled us to Himself. You see, our relationship with God is broken. As Brian mentioned last week, there's a chasm after the fall. There was a, a chasm between God and man. God in His holiness. God in His, in His goodness and being just and a God of wrath, but also a God of mercy. Could not come into contact with, with sinful human man. But He did anyway, but even, even in that, through that chasm, Jesus Christ is the one who reconciles God and man. You see, we were alienated from God. We were hostile because of sin. Had no desire for God. All of us have fallen, uh, all of us have sinned and we have fallen short of the glory of God. There is none good. The Bible says that there is none good. No, not one that would be even good to to think about who uh, even considered God in our sin. But yet, Jesus, through Him, He has reconciled to Himself all things. He has reconciled to Him all things, making peace by the blood of His cross. I want you to understand this, and I want you to hear me on this, that There is no Christmas. There's no good news in Christmas without the good news of Easter. 
So Jesus coming on, coming and being born into creation to become incarnate, to become Emmanuel, God with us, fully God, fully man, is nothing. Means nothing without the cross. Means nothing without the substitutionary, substitutionary death that, that Christ died for us in the forgiveness of sin. That's what Paul is saying here. Making peace by what? The blood of His cross. It was the cross that reconciles us to God. It was the punishment of death that someone had to pay. Someone that was unblemished lamb. Someone that was uh, a perfect and holy and blameless had to suffer a death. It could not be sinful human man. It had to be someone who was perfect and blameless and holy. And that was Jesus, the Son of God Himself. Would take on the weight of our sin. To die a death that we deserved, and yet He died and paid the penalty that we could not ultimately pay. And He is now reconciled in His body of flesh. Verse 22. By His death. Listen. This is, this is good news. In order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before Him. Because of the cross, because of, because of all the gospel, the good news of God coming and being born in a way that He was born and living the life that He lived and dying a death that we deserved all of this, because of this, that now if you place your faith and your trust in Him, that He will present you before God holy and blameless and righteous and above reproach. If you don't believe in Jesus Christ as the way, the truth, and life, if you don't believe that Jesus Christ is the Savior, then you do not get to be presented in this way. This is for the Christian that he, for those who have put their faith in Him, He was He has reconciled us to Himself. That we would present us holy and blameless and above reproach. But yet, let's say you find yourself, verse 21, you are, you're alienated, you're still distant from God. Matter of fact, you're still hostile in mind, you're still frustrated by God, you don't like the idea of God. You still continue in your evil deeds, thinking nothing of God. If this is you, you will... Christ coming, His dying, His resurrection means nothing. It means nothing. Unless you believe by faith. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Believe that He is the true way, the Savior, the reconciler to God. And you will be saved and you will be presented to God holy and blameless and above reproach. You cannot get there yourself. No matter how many good works you think you can do, no matter what you think you can accomplish, no matter how good you think you are, I've done way more good than I've done bad. That doesn't matter in God's economy. It matters not. It is by grace that you have been saved. It is the grace through faith in Jesus Christ as Lord, as Savior, where He presents you holy and blameless. It's 
not of your own efforts. Not that you can boast in anything that you've ever done. It is through Christ and Him alone. So my fifth point is this. Jesus is our sustainer. Jesus holds all things together. Verse 23. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. This gospel that is stable and steadfast, it doesn't shift in hope. So Jesus holds all things together. My question for you this morning is, where is your hope? Where does your hope lie? Is it in you? If you rely in yourself for your own hope, it is, it, is, it is a hope that will send you straight to hell. Our only hope is the gospel. It is the only true hope. So we don't shift from the hope by listening to every wave of doctrine or everything that tickles our ears. That's what he's saying here to these Colossians. You're shifting from your focus. Christ should be your focus. Christ is enough. He is sufficient. I've told this story before, but I have a friend of mine, a really good friend of mine, still a good friend. But he and I served as elders together in the same church. And... Um, I remember we, we started getting into thinking about doing obstacle course racing. And I was, you know, just looking forward to doing this with him and, 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 and beginning to, to do these races with him. And what ended up happening was, for me, it was just fun. It was just a great thing to do for fellowship and to be able to enjoy something like a Tough Mudder or a Spartan race or whatever that looked like. But for him, it became a, an idol. It became a god, and he went on to become uh, to be on American Ninja Warrior, and he took it to the next level. But in the meantime, he also denounced his faith. He got into a very worldly. Uh, he started to follow after things of the world. He became his focus. He lost his, his focus and his attention off of Christ, and church became secondary. And these group of these these group of people that stuck together and did their races together, and and became you know became uh, really really well known together. Like that that became his church. And it was sad. And it was sad when he when he invited me to lunch one day, and he told me this that hey, I don't believe that Jesus is the way anymore. Matter of fact, I, I've I've really really all, all, I've always had my doubts. I've always had my doubts. And I said, you know, it doesn't surprise me, man. I've seen, I've seen how you've been persuaded by things that are not, not of Christ. That you've been persuaded by things of this world. And it's a lack of attention. It's a lack of focus on Christ and who He is. And if we're not careful, the domains of darkness that still want to enslave us will. And so what Paul is saying here, he says, listen, if indeed you continue in the faith... He's not saying that, hey, if you're a Christian, that, that Satan's going to come back and get you. And that's not what I'm saying either. Because the, the, the truth is, is that we, we trust in the good news of the gospel, that we are sealed by the Holy Spirit, who is the, the guarantee of our inheritance. So we're, we're guaranteed the inheritance for those who believe, right? But what he's saying is, he's saying that you should, you should actually 
uh, you should actually question your own salvation. Like the Bible says this, that we should, we should actually question our salvation. We should actually, we should actually um, come, think about our salvation with fear and trembling. Now, I mean, that doesn't mean that we have to always doubt our salvation. No, it's not what he's saying at all. However, we should ask whether or not, is Christ enough? Do I believe that He's enough, or is it Christ and something else? Because if it's, it's Christ and something else, then He's not sufficient. He's not supreme. He's not God. He's just something else that is in the world that seems good and right, but He's not everything. And what Paul is saying is that Christ is everything. He's saying that He's enough, and He is sufficient, He is all-powerful, He is supreme over the church, over the supreme over the body, that He is enough. That He is enough. As the musicians come and as we get ready to sing together again, and as I conclude this morning, I want to read to you this quote from uh, a famous preacher named Charles Spurgeon. Here's what he says about this, this transference, this, this idea of what's called the great exchange, where, where Jesus, Jesus gives to us, he, he gives to us, imputes, the, the Bible says imputes, right? He gives to us His righteousness, and we give to us our sin. We give to Jesus our sin. So Jesus gives to us those who are in Christ, those who have put their faith and trust. Jesus has given us His righteousness. And in the same way, He has taken our sin. So we are clothed for those who are in Christ. We are clothed in righteousness. I want you to listen to what Spurgeon says in relation to that. He says this, He wore my crown, Jesus wore my crown of thorns, and I wear His crown, the crown of glory. He wore my nakedness when He died upon the cross, and I wear His robes, the royal robes of the King of kings. He bore my shame, I bear His honor. He endured my sufferings to this end, that my joy may be full, and that His joy may be fulfilled in me. He laid in the grave that I might rise from the dead and that, that I may dwell in Him. This morning, I just want to ask you, are you dwelling in Christ? Are you trusting in His all-sufficiency? Are you trusting Him as Lord and Savior? As you celebrate this Christmas season, is Christ enough? Is He sufficient for this time that we celebrate? Is He supreme? Do you believe that He came in human form, lived a perfect life that we could never live, died a death that we deserved, and that He was resurrected from the dead as Christ exalted? Do you believe that this morning? And can you dwell in that? Are we willing to dwell in that together as a church? The good news of the gospel, this gospel of first importance. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Man, what a rich, beautiful text that was given to us. Lord, I just pray that you would help us to think about in this season, Lord, as, as we think about Christmas, Lord, the good news. 
the gospel of Jesus Christ and who He is. May we dwell richly in His uh, glory, being the radiance of God's glory, Lord, that we would focus our attention on Him. That, Lord, we would be thankful that we wear His robes, that He absorbed our, that He wears the crown of thorns for us. And that we wear His crown of glory. Man, that's good news. So we thank You for this good news. Pray that You would open our hearts to receive it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.